0: Welcome to a night of total terror.
1: Welcome to the Undead Wookiee Podcast, Episode 17, John Carpenter's The Fog from 1980. Hello, I'm your host Hugh Lloyd and the Undead Wookiee is a fortnightly-ish podcast focusing on horror, sci-fi and occasionally we will dip into other genres because here at the Undead Wookiee, Our nerdiness knows no bounds. Hello and welcome back. And like I just said, on this episode, we are going to be looking at John Carpenter's classic, The Fog, from 1980. Now, before I dive into this one, I'm podcasting solo tonight. So, um, I say tonight, I think it's early afternoon. Um, Now, if you do hear a little whirring noise in the background, don't panic. It's just my fan, because it is far too hot and I don't want to die up in my attic recording. So, uh... If uh, that causes any problems, guys, tough because I'm boiling. So before I go any further, before I get into this classic, let's check out the trailer.
0: John Carpenter's The Fog. This is K.A.B. Antonio Bay. Stevie Wayne here. And let me be the first to wish Antonio Bay a happy birthday. 100 years old today, and keep a watch out for that fog bank heading in from the east. 100 years ago, between midnight and one, something unknown came out of the fog. Now it has returned. Oh, Jesus. 100 years ago, between midnight and one, something unnatural came out of the fog. Now it has returned. ago, between midnight and one, something evil came out of the fog. Now, it has returned.
2: Who's there?
0: The fog. Antonio Bay has a curse on it. we all cursed. There's no water getting
2: here, but something off a cold pit.
0: I think I'll go to Vancouver now. What's the fog now?
3: It should be right outside my door now.
0: Oh, there's something different about this fog. Dan, stay away from the door! Someone listen to me! Get inside and lock your doors. Close your windows. There's something in the fog. from the fog from the creator of halloween the ultimate experience in terror and suspense john carpenter's the fog starring adrian barbeau jamie lee curtis john houseman janet lee as kathy williams and hal holbrook as father malone fog. What you can't see won't hurt you. It will kill you. Between midnight and one, it will find you.
1: I've been looking forward to doing this episode for a very long time because I love this film. I think it is a superb film. Um, of course, so let's have a little look at the numbers. So John Carpenter's The Fog was released in 1980. It was directed by John Carpenter. It was written by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. It stars Adrian Barbeau as Stevie Wayne, Jamie Lee Curtis as Elizabeth Soley, uh, Janet Lee as uh, Kathy Williams, uh, John Houseman as Mr. Matchen, Tom Eatkins as Nick Castle, uh, James Cannon as Dick Baxter, Charles Cypress as Dan O'Bannon, Nancy Loomis as Sandy Fadel, uh, Ty Mitchell as Andy Wayne, Hal Halbrook as Father Malone, John F. Goff as Al Williams, George Buckflower as Tommy Wallace, Darwin Johnston as Dr. Fibes, and Rob Botton as Blake, and of course John Carpenter pops up as Bennett in uh, an uncredited role, which I oddly enough i think is his last speaking role that he ever appeared in because he hated himself uh in the role and he thought he did such a bad job it's only a brief scene right at the beginning but he didn't like it so we have uh with the fog one of john carpenter's i think one of his one of his best scores i think it is a superb score um it is a fantastic soundtrack to this film uh, like I said, it was released in uh, February the 1st, 1980. It has a running time of 89 minutes. Um, and it cost approximately a million dollars to make. But it grossed 21.3 million. A very, very successful haul there off 1 million. Now, The Fog is one of my all-time favorite films. And for me, John Carpenter is a is a very inf- important filmmaker he's um had a massive influence on me throughout um throughout my life and his films have always always resonated with me um even some of his sort of his lesser stuff um but i think that he is um i think he's a very important filmmaker and i think his films are very important i mean yes some of his leaked his is you new know, sort of um His more recent output um, I don't think is of the same kind of quality, but um, the majority of his films have had had an incredible impact upon me. Um, And this, this for me, is one of my favourite Carpenter films. Um, You know, with this film, right from the bat, right from the go, um, this film had me hooked. Um, I'm a big Edgar Allan Poe fan, and... um, Ever since in the Raven when I was very very young, um, I think I heard it in a, um, in Aberdeen Library. Actually, I think somebody did a reading of it um, on a, like a Halloween type thing, and uh, it had me hooked from that moment. And right off the you know right off the bat with this film, we get that magnificent quote from Edgar Allan Poe: "Is all that we see a dream within a dream?" And I think it, that single line had me completely hooked. Um, and last episode we talked about with Suspiria that that film had a very dreamlike feel to it. And I think at times the fog has a um has a very similar vibe to it. Um it has that sort of dreamlike quality to it. Um and it is, of course, um people say it's a ghost story, and yes, it is a ghost story fundamentally, but actually I think it, it, it delves a little bit deeper than that. Um and you know you get that great, like I said, you get the great Edgar Allan Poe quote at the beginning, and then we have the opening John Hausman uh, monologue, um, and he delivers it. I think it's 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 delivered with perfect inflection. Um, I think his tone is brilliant, um, and it is quite possibly one of my favourite openings. Um, 20 film really it i think there are there are some of these some films that you see and you see an opening for a and it just grabs you so i'm gonna shut up for a little minute um and i'm gonna let you enjoy that opening monologue it's only a couple of minutes but it is delivered magnificently so guys let's have a listen
2: Eleven fifty-five. Almost midnight. Enough time for one more story. One more story before twelve. Just to keep us warm. In five minutes, it'll be the 21st of April. One hundred years ago, on the twenty first of April. Out. In the waters around Spivey Point, a small clipper ship drew toward land. Suddenly, out of the night, the fog rolled in. For a moment, they could see nothing, not a foot ahead of them. And then, they saw a light. My God, it was a fire burning on the shore. Strong enough to penetrate the swirling mist steered a course toward the light, but it was a campfire like this one. The ship crashed against the rocks, the hull sheared in two, the mast snapped like a twig, and the wreckage sank with all the men aboard. On the bottom of the sea lay the Elizabeth Dane with her crew lungs filled with salt water their eyes open and staring into the darkness and above as suddenly as it had come the fog lifted receded back across the ocean and never came again but it is told by the fishermen and their fathers and grandfathers that when the fog returns to antonio bay the men the bottom of the sea, out in the water by Spivey Point, will rise up and search for the campfire that led them to their dark and icy death. Twelve o'clock, the 21st of April.
1: that for me is storytelling to perfection that is it is a brilliant brilliant opening and the delivery of the lines the marriage of sound you know from the tick the metronomic ticking of the, of the stopwatch and then the snapping of it being closed it is absolutely it it is brilliant it is it, it's a fantastic fantastic scene um, you know, John Houseman only worked on the film for one day, um, and that's why he was given um, a special appearance credit. And um, instead of it being shot outside, that scene was shot on a set. Um, and I didn't know that until I actually started looking into this film. Um, and this is something about, that I found, that the more I've watched this film, the more I've read about it, the more I did my research, the more actually I've come to appreciate it. Um it is, you know, on the surface you can take the fog as as a simple ghost story, um, but actually there is nothing simple about this film. I think it's got a it's got a structure that is fairly complicated. Um, I think there are you know there are all sorts of references uh, in this film. You've got your HP Lovecraft references. You've got uh, references to Doctor Fibes, uh, the Thing from Another World um the crawling eye um you've got references to Alfred Hitchcock's the birds um and in a lot of ways i mean this this film sort of there's there's lots of nods and lots of winks um particularly with character names and other references in this film so um lots of the actors who worked on this film have worked with uh with carpenter um on a number of his films for example um Of course, you've got Jamie Lee Curtis, you've got Tom Atkins, um, who worked with uh, him on Halloween 3. Um, It's, you know, there's a real tight-knit feel to this film. But what I really love is that the number of people who are, you know, the number of the characters in The Fog are named after different people who've collaborated with Carpenter. For example... um, character Dan O'Bannon. Dan O'Bannon is a screenwriter who worked with Carpenter on Darkstar. Um, The character Nick Castle um, is actually the name of the actor who played Michael Myers in the original Halloween. Uh, Tommy Wallace um, has worked with Carpenter as an editor, uh, art designer and sound designer. Um, You know, you've got uh, Richard Kobitz, the producer of Carpenters, uh, some Carpenters' TV work. I think it was um, uh, Someone Watching Over Me. Um, you know, And there are loads and loads of other references in there. I mean, for example, um, when somebody re- references Bodego Bay, um, it's actually a reference to uh, the birds, as I mentioned earlier, because um, that's where the birds takes place. Uh, you get the radio report that mentions Arkham Reef, And the town's coroner um, is actually called Dr. Fibes, which, of course, we know is that um, great, great Vincent Price character. Um, Now, you could argue, um, and without trying to get too deep into these things, that the, the fog is almost sort of, you know, it's a very sort of, I don't think it was intentional, but I think it was more that Carpenter was having a bit of fun but actually, it's an early attempt at that sort of, um, and I hate using this word because it sounds all a bit pretentious now, doesn't it? That sort of meta filmmaking, that sort of wink, wink—you uh, know, nudge to the screen, very similar to what they did in the screen movies. Um, but for me, I just think that Carpenter was having a bit of fun with this. Um, you know, Carpenter said, um, and I think he was talking with Deborah Hill uh, when they were recording the uh, DVD commentary, actually. That they got the um they were inspired after they made a visit to Stonehenge, uh, while they were promoting um Assault on Precinct thirteen. And they were they said they were there, they were at the site, they were at the Henge, and late in the sort of afternoon they saw the fog um loom in quite eerily in the distance. Um and I think that's fantastic, isn't it? Because we've all looked at the fog and we've all been out in those sort of those cold mornings and things, and we've seen how thick the fog is, and you always think, hmm, what's lurking, what, what could be lurking for us out there? You know, it is, um, it, this film, I think, is a great film for characters, and there's a there's a, there's a there's a lot of characters in it. There are a lot of characters in this film, um, which actually, when you look at it, um, one of the sort of, one of the main characters in this besides um, you know Jamie Lee Curtis and Adrian Barbo and, and Tom Atkins um, you know the I think the principal character in this film is is the fog itself um, the way in which that it moves um, the way it is that sort of the manifestation of evil it's it, the way in which that it is able to just it's unstoppable, isn't it? It's always there. You never know which way it's going to be. You can't really escape it. It's always there. And um, I think uh, there's a guy called uh, David Demos, and he wrote, um, or it might be Demos, I'm going to say Demos, um, and he wrote in, um, in an article in January, I think it's 2011, about the fog. And he describes it as an anthropomorphic personification of the abject, abstract concept of evil um, which when you l- think about it that way and when you look at like carpenter's other films it's a theme that runs through a number of his films that idea that you can't really see evil you know for example, even when we look at like characters like Michael Myers um originally he was just the shape um, you know when you look at uh, the Prince of, you know Prince of Darkness when you look at that film you know the you know the evil in that film is sort of this unquantifiable entity and I mean okay even in and I'm gonna bring it up and people are probably gonna go oh really but actually Ghost to Mars there's this you know the evil Martian spirit that possesses the people you know uh, its victims in that film. Is completely formless. It's a formless spirit. Um now on the film the, the on the DVD commentary. Um Deborah Hill talks about they created, you know, they, they talked about the different ways in which they created the fog and they used uh dry ice and fog machines. Um uh, she did mention she couldn't quite remember there was a third way they said, but she can't quite she couldn't quite remember what it was. But you look at the way it's moved, and there's a brilliant scene actually. Um, where the fog starts surrounding Tom Atkins' car. But what they did was, because they couldn't quite get the, the fog to move the way they wanted to, I mean, they shot it in reverse. Um, and when you look at it very closely, it does it does give the fog this, this ethereal feel to it. It does give it this real sort of uh, menacing quality to it. Um, now, when you look at... The you know you could say that you know okay the, the the fog is a ghost story, you could say that it's a film about the relentlessness of evil and how that you cannot see it coming you can't you you cannot stop it, um but also you could you know I think you could look at it from the point of view that, that this is a film about exclusion and revenge, um you know when we look at the story you think you know a hundred years ago to the founding of you know the founding of Antonio Bay. Um, a colony of lepers lived nearby on Tenzier Island and its leader Blake asked to move the colony to the mainland um and said that they were prepared to pray, pay for the privilege um and the you know the people who became who were the founders of Antonio Bay agreed to Blake uh, and his leper colony move in uh, closer to it but then they sort of uh, they betrayed him. And they caused this ship to crash. And what we have now is this this idea of that we don't... This town benefiting from the exclusion of others. And you have this idea that um, because they excluded these people, because they stole from them, the vengeance was going to be reaped upon their ancestors. And that they were going to come and claim the six bodies or six victims um for the six founding members of antonio bay and um i love that idea i love that concept i think it's a brilliant brilliant idea um you know and i think it creates um another layer to the story i think it gives the layer it gives the story this um because people look at it and just go, "Well, there's not a lot to this film other than, um, other than atmosphere um, and tension, or sort of um, the slow burn of tension." But actually, I think there's more going on here. Um, and like I said, you have this, you know, this idea of the formless evil, the relentlessness of it, the idea of vengeance, of um, the, uh, you know. The vengeful spirit. You know, it's I think it's it's just something about this film that really, really captures the imagination. Um now The Fog is a film that relies um and I've already mentioned it, but you know, no pun intended is atmosphere, because after all, we all love a party with an atmosphere. Sorry, I apologize. I uh yes that's right, I did just throw a Russ Abbott um reference in there. Anyway, uh <laughs> I'm very hot, people. It's boiling up here, and I've had a lot of caffeine. Um, anyway, back to the fog. Sort of, it's... When you sort of look at some of the more violent scenes, they do kind of feel a little bit squeezed in there. And the reason why they were kind of, it does kind of feel that is that when they originally shot the film, they didn't have... It was sort of... It didn't ha- It wasn't meant to be an R-rated film originally. I think it was. He was aiming for like a PG type film, um, a PG ghost story type feel to it. But actually, Car- what Carpenter realised was actually the film needed more. So they went back and um, they did some reshoots on it. And a really, really good example of this is the ghost attack on the ship, um, because originally you didn't see any of the ghosts. Um, but obviously in the final film that we see here, you see the ghosts and they are, you know, there's the you know, there's the stabbing in the eye, there's the hooks, and you can see those um uh, and, and you can see the spectral figures there. Um interestingly enough, the um the lead um I suppose I suppose are they ghost pirates? I don't know. Um the lead the the vengeful Captain Blake um, is played by makeup effects guru Rob Botten. Um, of course, famous for his effects that he did on John Carpenter's *The Thing*. Um, now, the original budget was around about nine hundred thousand, but because um, the film was following uh, David Cronenberg's *Scanners*, um, the production decided that they needed um, they needed some more. They, they needed to really juice up the violence in this film and sort of go for it. Um, and it's those reshoots that actually push the film over into um, the million sort of dollar mark. And like I said, the original Attack on the Boat had very little violence um, on it, and you didn't see the ghosts. Um, but that was added on in reshoots. Um but one of the other sort of um one of the other reshoots that's in there and I'm really glad it is because it is one of my favourite kills in the whole thing is the elderly babysitter. <laughs> um which is just so mean and is fairly brutal, but it's so well executed. I think it is a brilliant lesson in um in build up and then delivery. Um it's it, the payoff on that scene is brilliant. I really, really like that. Um the other thing that really really stands out for me is the work that dean kundi um the cinematographer did in this film. I think it is absolutely brilliant um I mean the fact that the a large proportion of this film takes place at night and again we get the, we get these brilliant blues and these gray hazes um that you know I think they they add this nightmare quality to it, um, but there's something quite sort of with the use of the blue there. It gives it this sort of it's quite a calming false sense to the color, it, it, like a false sort of um, like a calming sort of the calm before the storm type uh, feel to it. Um, and I think the combination of Kundi and Carpenter, um, I think particularly in some of the scare scenes. Um, right at the beginning as well, I think some of the scare scenes at the beginning are absolutely brilliant. I think it works so other, other, you know, I think it, it sort of works so well. Um, the other uh, key element in this film for me is um, the score. I've already mentioned it. Um, the score for me in this film, I think it's another character. Um, I think it is by far one of John Carpenter's best scores um and it gives the film the, it it really invokes that feeling of a creeping dread you know and it, it it's sublime it is it, it is simply a sublime score and i find myself I'm, i find that i return to it um an awful lot um and i love how there's the nod to dr Fibes within the music and the phantom and the opera particularly with a massive chord that gets played in the opening main theme. I love that. Um, it still makes me jump occasionally when I play it in the car. I'm not expecting it. Um, this um, this film for me is... Um, I think it's a superb piece of cinema. I think... Um, even though I think some people sort of dismissed it a little bit at its time of its release um, and subsequently people have gone back and re-examined it... Um, I think it's a great film. I think this is, um, I think this is a film that really um, is understated in a number of ways. I think it manages to sort of get in their deeper themes without you realizing it, and you can enjoy this film on a number of levels. Um, I think. I, you know, I described the, you know, the the score to this as sublimely chilling. And I think as a film, um, the fog is, um, it has this ethereal and immensely chilling feel to it. And I absolutely love this film. I think it is a superb, superb film. Um, now, I could probably go on and talk. <laughs> a lot longer on this but i've sort of uh, i'm very very conscious that you're just listening to me so i'm going to kind of round this up now and like i said i love this film it is a superb film um i think there is something there for everybody um i think it's the type of film that you can show to people who are not massive horror fans um but equally i think horror fans can appreciate it and i think you can take n- Take something away from it with multiple, multiple viewings. Um, I love it. It's a brilliant film. For me, this is a must-own. And my overall score for this film is... I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10. And I think it's a must-own. And now we come to What the Wookie Watched this week. And uh, this week... I've, uh, I've got a couple, three little gems for you to have a little uh, sort of ponder over. Um, <laughs> and first up, I have got Maximum Overdrive from 1986. Let's check out the trailer.
3: Hi. My name is Stephen King. I've written several motion pictures. But I want to tell you about a movie called Maximum Overdrive, which is the first one I've directed. Wow. What
0: in the dick is going
3: on around here? A lot of people have directed Stephen King novels and stories. And I finally decided if you want something done right, you ought to do it yourself.
2: Who was driving it? I don't know. Curtis! It's coming after
3: us! It was my first picture as a director. And you know something? I sort of enjoyed it.
2: What is going on? I don't know!
3: I just wanted someone to do Stephen King right. You want a war? You got one. I just want to get the hell out of here. So come and spend some time with me and my friends at the Dixie Boy. Spend some time in the dark.
2: <laughs> Please Can don't leave me in the dark. Help. help
3: me! I'm gonna scare the hell out of you. <laughs> and that's a promise. You're gonna get us in an awful lot of trouble, man. We already in trouble. Maximum
0: terror.
3: <laughs> is coming and he is
0: Maximum King Maybe tomorrow will be our world again Dino De Laurentiis presents Stephen King's Maximum Overdrive
1: (laughs) Oh, Maximum Overdrive um yeah, I think I better start and come clean with this. Um I have a confession to make. Um I when I was younger, I had a um I bought a VHS um X rental uh copy of this. And from about the age of about 10 to about 14, I think I played the guts out of it and completely wore it out. Um <laughs> This film is directed by Stephen King. It was written by Stephen King. Um, the soundtrack is by ACDC, um, who happened to be one of my favourite bands. And it stars Emilio Estevez, Pat Hingle, uh, Laura Hingleton, uh, Yardley Smith, who, of course, we all know as the voice of Lisa Simpson. Uh, it stars John Short, Ellen uh, McElderf and JC Quinn. And the story is, well, it's a very, very simple one. Um, a comet passes by the Earth, causing machines to come alive and attack humans. <laughs> um, it's pro- This is a crazy, crazy, crazy film. And a film that is Stephen King's only directing credit. Um, it's his only effort to date. And it's a film that King admits that he was coked out of his mind whilst making it. And it does show because it's a crazy film. Um, It's got some brilliant kills in it. Um, Death by Vending Machine is quite possibly my (laughs) favourite. It's a brilliant scene. Uh, It's so ridiculous. Um, And the film just gets crazier and crazier as it goes along. And by the time that the um the rocket launchers appear um the film has become completely unhinged and it's a mess <laughs> um the the soundtrack by acdc is great and is always worth listening to um the main evil truck with the green goblin face uh, like big hood ornament type thing on the front is very very cool looking Um, and like I said there are some great kills in this Um, and some of the stunts in this where people are getting hit by things it genuinely looks painful (laughs) Um, I really like this film it's really silly it's really really over the top it's badly directed it's badly written Um, Emilio Estevez um, it's a good job he went on to do other things because he's so serious in this film he is so serious. Um, he sort of pulls that sort of Michelle Rodriguez angry face throughout the entire thing. Um, but it is, it's, it's a bonkers film, but it's well worth looking at. Uh, you cannot take it seriously in any way, shape, or form. I'd say it's a low priority rental. Um, I now own it on DVD. Um, and I'd give it a 5 out of 10 now up next another film from 1986 we have got raw head Rex. let's check out the trailer
3: what i saw wasn't human
2: oh my god I can't, I
0: can't. it was very tall What's more, it saw me, this thing.
1: Well, <laughs> Rawhead Rex from 1986. It was directed by George Pavlo, uh written by Clive Barker. It stars David Dukes, uh Kelly Piper, Hugh O'Connor, Car Venus Looney, uh Ronan Wilnot and Niall Tobin. And the story evolves around a long imprisoned demon who is accidentally set free and goes on a killing spree. Um I was really looking forward to this film because I had never, ever seen it. I'd always seen the really cool poster and the really cool VHS cover for it. Um, And it took me a long time to track this down. And, you know, this film has always had, it's always, you know, this particular film has always garnered, for whatever reason, it has garnered a lot of love over the years. However, I can honestly say I'm not a fan I'm, I'm, I'm really. I was really disappointed with this film. I was, I'm gutted because I was, I really wanted to like it. I really did, um, but it's a mess. Um, the special effects in it are dreadful. The creature itself, Rawhead Rex, is just fucking dire. Um, the acting is woeful. Um, and the film feels like it was edited by an ADHD afflicted monkey high on Skittles. Um, I just, I just, it, it's got some cool moments in it. Um, I don't you know, because I'm a big fan of Clive Barker as well. I kind of, you know, I expected more from it. Um, but I just couldn't, I just, what for whatever reason, I just couldn't, I just, it just did not sit well with me. I really didn't enjoy it. I struggled to get to the end of it. Um, Like it's, you know, I think the best film, uh, the best thing of this uh, this film, um, is the very very cool VHS cover and the poster. And sadly, I've got to give it a three out of ten. And I'm gutted because I really wanted to like it. Yep, three out of ten for that one. Sorry, guys. Now, up next, we have got Morgan from 2016. Let's enjoy the trailer.
2: Amy! Don't go in there! Oh my God. We're all very happy to have you here, Lee. I imagine that's not exactly true. Doctor, this is Lee Weathershell Corporate. I'm just looking for some information about Morgan. Morgan was our third attempt, our little breakthrough. It's the next step in evolution. It's bioengineered with synthetic DNA. Within a month, walking and talking. Within six months, it exceeds our wildest expectations. I'd like to discuss the incident if that's okay. She had a tantrum. There was joy in our heart
0: before we shoved her back in that box. You feeling a little sad, Morgan? Yes. Do you
2: like it here? Yes.
0: What do you like about it?
2: I like my friends
0: you think they treat you like a friend? I mean, you think it's normal for friends to lock each other in cages? What would you do if I recommended that you should not be allowed to leave this room? What if I recommended that you be terminated?
2: We should end this. Answer me! What would you do?! Where's Morgan? <laughs> Initiating lockdown. What you don't understand is Ten. Morgan is still evolving. Nine. The people in this house are in danger. Eight. It needs to be terminated. Seven. Six. Don't be afraid. Five. Four. Three. No! Two. One. I'm starting to feel like myself. Morgan. Nice to meet you. You're the
1: fresh. So, Morgan from 2016, directed by Luke Scott, written by Seth Owen. It stars Kate Mara, Anna Taylor Joy, uh, Rose Leslie, Michael Yar, Toby Jane, Chris Sullivan, Boyd Holbrook, Vinette Robinson, Michelle Yeoh. Brian Cox uh, Jennifer Jason Leigh who I was quite surprised popped up in this I, I, I like Jennifer Jason Leigh, I think she's a really good actress uh, Paul Gametti and it's a story about a corporate risk management consultant who must decide on whether a artificially created human being should be terminated um, I really enjoyed this film um, I wasn't expecting to I put it on, uh, late in an afternoon, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, is it perfect? Oh, no, 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 no. Um, and lots of the characters in this film are really, really, really unlikable. Um, but I really enjoyed it. Um, I was, you know, subtly, I was subtly impressed with the use of, uh, Krav Maga in some of the action scenes. Um but i think the one thing that does hold this film back is the un, you know the level of unlikableness by some of the characters within it um but i do think this is a great slice of science fiction um and i think it's got a very good cast giving solid performances um it does fall apart at times and i think towards the end it does fall apart a little bit um but it's got enough about it to keep you interested and keep you engaged. And I think there are some moments of really, really good tension. Um, I think Anna Taylor-Joy is very, very good in this as the lead. I think she is really, really, really good in this film. Um, and you can understand why she is sort of, uh, she is garnering um, so much attention as she is in, in, in terms of science fiction and the horror genre in the she is, um, she's, she's excellent. Um, again, like I said, I'm a big Jennifer Jason Lee fan. I think her performance in this is really, really good. Michelle Yeoh actually is very good in this as the very, very cold doctor. Um, and I enjoyed it. Um, I like the look of the film. Um, I love the Brian Cox as a sort of like a little, uh, extended cameo within this film. I think he's a great actor. Um, and I always enjoy watching him work. Um, I think the, the script is a little heavy-handed on times, um, but it's well worth putting on. It's well worth uh, the time, particularly if you're just looking for something not too deep, um, and you're looking for a slice of just you know a little bit of sci-fi just to keep you sort of uh, ticking over. Um, I would give this film, I would say it's a six out of ten, and uh, and rent it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is us coming to a near end. Now, it's a slightly shorter episode because I'm really cons- you know, really aware about uh, you just listening to my voice babbling on. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I've loved recording this one. Um, but as always, I want to say a big, big thank you to everybody who's subscribed to the channel, to everybody who's listened to the shows, um, who's tweeted us? Um, who's looked at the Facebook page? Remember, guys, you can make sure that you subscribe on the YouTube channel. You can follow me on Twitter at the Undead Wookie. Um, I do every, I do, I I try and respond as much as I can, um, and it's always humbling by uh, the response that we get on Twitter. Um, I want to say a big, big shout out as always to my man Blake at Spivey Point. Um, this episode is dedicated to you buddy this is just this one's for you um i want a big shout out to cj my man at vhs revival guys get yourself over to his blog it's well worth a look um as always my glamorously gothy gal pals cl raven get yourself over onto their youtube channel their twitter account their instagram buy their books um they're always entertaining and i'm hoping to have them back on very very on very 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 soon um i want to shout out to my man liam uh to my semi-regular co-host mr leighton winston i'm hoping to have him back on very very soon i want to give a big shout out as well to ct phipps keep those books coming brother i really really enjoy your work um You know, I also want to say a big shout out to Al and Jeff over at CadaverCast, guys. I love the show. It is absolutely superb. Keep up the great, great, great work. Now, if you're looking for um, a horror podcast to listen to, you can't go no wrong um, by getting yourselves over to the Horror Movie Podcast and and checking out their work. Um, You've got my man Dave Dr. Shock Becker over in there. Um, I want to say a big, big thank you to Dave for all his tweets, his retweets and his likes. Um... You've got Jay of the Dead, who seems to be back-fighting fit. Um, you've got the Wolfman himself, Josh Legary. Another podcast, guys. If you if you're, um, your thirst for horror has not been quenched, get yourselves over to Gregor Mortis' uh, podcast, of the Creeps. Uh, check out Doc Rotten's podcast, uh, along with The Black Saint, um, and Thomas Mariani, over a decades of horror. Superb, superb show. Um, so, guys... It's all that's left for me to say now, in the immortal words of Count Dracula. Good night out there, whatever you are.
2: Andy, I want you to go to your room. I think I should stay. Right now, right now, Yes. right now. Ha 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 ha